I probably yeah. half a dozen times a night I watch Maxi start to go to the basket, and it looks like there is no way he's getting a quality shot up off the glass based on where he jumped from. He jumped off the wrong foot, and there's a defender right there with length. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Show presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Adam Matas, and I'm joined by my co-host and the star of the show, Tim Legler. Tim, happy Friday to you, man. How you doing? Happy Friday. I'm doing well, man. Good games last night, which is what we're always looking for. You want some drama? We got some of that last night, so that always makes our job a little easier. We did get some drama, and <laughs> like we did yesterday, we're going to be talking, our last show, we're going to be talking Suns. Versus Spurs again. Um, they had the doubleheader. We've also got Orlando, Utah to get to. Notes on New Orleans. We've got a deep dive coming up today on the Philadelphia 76ers, especially Tyrese Maxey, looking at how do you build around Joel Embiid now? Is there sort of a soft reset in, in Philadelphia? And then later, we're going to send you off into the weekend talking about who won the week and what there is to get excited about. But first, Legs, I have to start here. I want to thank everybody that tuned in to our first episode of this show as we launched this. Our first week, the show has already risen to number two on Chartable's basketball podcast rankings. I see that we've got a, a bunch of five-star reviews so far up on Apple Podcasts. The show should be up on Spotify, Overcast, Pop Pocket Cast. I know there was a little bit of a bump getting those things on every outlet, but it should be there right now. But legs, not bad, man. What a great start to this show. Nice splash right off right right off the get-go. I think it, it goes to what we you and I have been talking about the entire time, man. People are hungry for like real basketball talk and guys that are watching games and, and, and breaking it down and, and giving people something they might not have seen when they were watching that game. So that's a great start. And I just know uh, we're going to build from here. Sky's the limit. I'm excited. No, no doubt about it. And we thank you guys all for being a part of this show in the chat and leaving the comments, leaving all the positive feedback. We really appreciate it. Um, you're going to help us build the show. Let's get right into it though, because we do have a lot to get to. Let's start out. The NBA is doing this a lot more and more as time goes on, Legs, where teams will play each other twice in a short setting. We've seen it already with Knicks Cavs. We've seen it, uh, you know, a couple times around the league already. But Suns, Spurs, we just talked about this one on Wednesday's show, but we had another instant classic. Devin Booker returned. He goes for 31, 9, and 13 on 10 of 19 shooting. Had a very night, good night for a guy coming back from injury. But the story has to be Victor Wimbanyama, his best game as a professional so far, 38 points. Legs, what did you see from this game? I don't even know where to begin to describe like what we really watched last night because there were play, and we knew this was going to happen with Victor Wembanyama, right? You knew there was going to be, because we saw glimpses of it like early, just even in the highlights we saw of him playing professionally in France, and he comes over, and we saw just a brief glimpses in Vegas. So, we kind of knew, like, because it's so unique, this kind of length with this all this skill in, in, in one package. But yet, what I saw last night were several plays that I'm just literally kind of saying, what is the answer for that? <laughs> I don't think there's an answer for some of these roles that he gets when he's catching the basketball at strange angles and, and they're just throwing it up wherever. And he's catching it, not necessarily even to dunk it, but to – to catch it and then from weird angles, like he's twisted and he's putting soft English on it off the glass all in one motion, but the ball is caught at a place that's up by the top of the square. 
you know, against other seven footers who look much smaller in comparison. And then some of the stuff he did late after the Suns made that incredible run and they come all the way back and tie the game. You know, some of the stuff he did late, you know, the jab step against yeah. Eubanks, he, he literally squares him up yep. and he does a jab step like you do at a, you know, a, a kid's basketball camp when you're teaching the kid how to do a rocker step. He jabs him, goes left one dribble and rises up from 27 feet, like with a hand up in his face at a critical time in the game. And he did it so effortlessly. So that was the clutch legs. That was, that was, that was the most important shot of the entire game, actually. And it was almost when I watched it live and he went into it, I I thought, what are you doing? Like, this is insane to pull up from three right there, but he was confident and he knocked it down. He has a, here's what he has going for him already. And this is a, you know, something that, you you know, very few guys get from day one at this age, no matter what your physical package looks like, you, you don't get that freedom that you are the man already. And that's how he carried himself last night. You know, 26 field goal attempts in the game, 15 for 26. So he goes over 50%, but a play like that, I mean, the game is on the line. And I understand Greg Popovich has probably done a great job with these guys, making them understand like this isn't playoffs or bust for the San Antonio Spurs. This is a developmental year and they're obviously developing around him, but to have that sort of freedom and belief in a very close game after you've given up a 25-point lead to, to, to square up on a guy and just go bounce, bounce, and rise up from 27 and kind of sort of end the game, uh, just incredibly impressive that he's got that kind of belief in himself, confidence, and skill to make that happen. And he affected the game all over, but some of the plays he made offensively with, with, with the catches around the rim and yeah. then some of the stuff he did late with his jump shooting – uh, it was mind-blowing, and I think it, it serves notice. The league has a real problem on its hands. He has very good hands because we talk about the coordination for a guy that height that we just haven't seen, I and mean, we haven't seen a lot of guys seven foot four. but the coordination. But the play you're talking about, he's got Devin Booker on a switch in the post, and they don't get it to him right away. He sort of has to spin all the way around, catch a lob one hand, and gently sort of guide it into the basket. That's a. Those are good hands. Most yeah. bigs, not even seven footers, just most bigs will fumble that pass, have to come down and go back up with it. And he just kind of makes a catch and guides it in in one motion. It's it's things yeah. like that. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, look, it helps when your hands are so big, it probably feels like a tennis ball <laughs> that you're catching and putting it in the basket. But, you know, there was another play where he, 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 he slid down the lane, caught a pass. This was also late in the game and dunked the ball with his left hand from an right, angle. Right. Like his body, his entire body, was outside the lane and yeah. his left arm just extended and he still dunked it. And by the way, he took a shot to the chest on that, that they didn't call. It should have been a three point play, but it, it's just the constant, you know, reminding us of like, I don't know that I've seen something like that before. Yeah. He did it pretty much the entire night. And look, San Antonio came out and took it right to him. It was 13, nothing to start the game. They controlled the entire game. You knew the Suns would make a run at some point. They did and give a very young team built around this incredibly young player feeling his way through the NBA. Give them credit that once they got this thing, it was tied up. San Antonio made every play down the stretch they had to make. It wasn't the Suns. It was the Spurs, like possession after possession. It wasn't just Wembenyama. They got oh yeah. Zach Collins was sensational. He was incredible. McDermott hit two big threes like at a critical time in the middle of the fourth quarter. So they had contributions across the board. But look, the the story of the game was was Webanyama's performance and the fact that the Suns 
did not really have an answer uh, for what he brings. They're in the sweet spot right now of a young team with a lot of excitement and no expectations. And I think that you can see the confidence growing. I think the last game coming back from Phoenix, you almost see a confidence boost in this game built off of that. And, and that's the thing that I think is a little bit scary is them being in that sweet spot. It's a developmental year, but here they are sort of playing with house money and growing in confidence. And I know plus minus doesn't always tell the story. Wembenyama was a plus 21 last night and it felt like that. <laughs> yeah. I think that tells the story this time. You know, there was something really interesting that happened in that game last night, too, and it speaks volumes about Greg Popovich, right, and what he's trying to do with this team. There was a, So the Suns make this run, and it's it's getting dicey, and it's like mid-fourth quarter, about eight minutes to go. Wembanyama is already out of the game, and this they, they call Spurs call timeout. And I'm thinking, okay, even though Wembanyama had only been sitting for a few minutes, I'm like, he's gonna ha- he has to come back to him here because this game's going to slip away. They come out at the time, and they didn't have a good offensive team on the floor. In fact, the best offensive player they had on the court at the time was Doug McDermott, who's mm-hmm. really a catch-and-shoot guy, right? And he sure. had just hit two of them, but he's not going to put it down and, and, like, beat you that way. And I was so fascinated to see that coming out of the timeout, Pop rode with that group a couple yeah. more minutes. It, it, and it's just his way of letting them know, like, you are NBA players. You better figure this out. And I'm going to ride with you a little bit longer because it's important that I get them the rest that I am supposed to get them. And he waited. And then he brought Wembanyama back, you know, that six-minute mark to close the deal, and they were able to do it. So it was a super fun game, entertaining. Look, and Adam, our first couple shows here, we've had some games where if 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 you wanted to, you could have checked out, right? right. Turned it off, <laughs> gone to sleep, watched something else. This one was 27 you, points. This was even bigger than the last one. Man. You would have missed something big. And so that's, exa- again, what happened in this one. It goes to show you, like, in, in the NBA, particularly the way the game is designed with all this three-point shooting, leads disappear faster than they ever have. Yeah. And and so San Antonio kind of understood that. Phoenix made their run, and the Spurs closed it out. It was a very entertaining game and a, a statement game for the Spurs. We can we only got about a minute on this one, but – as exciting as this was for Wimbanyama and the rest of the Spurs supporting cast, this is concerning for the Phoenix Suns. Dropping two games at home to San Antonio. You lose the last one. You feel like you let one slip through the cracks. You get Devin Booker back. This has all the makings of a big game. You know, like, okay, a response game. And instead you fall behind by 27 points. And more than losing this game, more than falling behind by that much, they gave up 132 points. The I'm worried about this Phoenix Suns defense. They got big contributions from Eubanks and Keita Bates-Diop last night that I don't think you expect every night. They go away from Yusef Nurkic in the second half because they can't get a stop. They don't make any stops down the stretch of this game either. That's, you know, look, you, you hit it on the head. You know, They gave up 75 in the first half to a team they just lost to in, in dramatic fashion, blowing a lead. Yeah. You'd think they'd come out. Booker didn't play in that game. He's playing in this one. You'd think they would come out. And really want to set a tone defensively. And the Spurs did whatever they wanted to offensively. 75 points in the first half. Phoenix fought. Give them credit. They did fight their way back. But then, now, okay, we've reset the button. This is now basically a five-minute game. And they couldn't stop Zach Collins rolling to the basket. They couldn't stop Victor Wembanyama. whether it was the jab step three. There was another play they ran where they ran a pin down for him where he basically brought him up to the foul line on a catch and shoot like you would with a two guard off a right. down screen. He caught it, turned it, shot it. And he's got this great comfort zone knowing he doesn't care who's who he's being guarded by. He's shooting the ball from a place that you can't really bother right. it. So he's got that freedom of mind. But the fact that they were able 
to, to get what they wanted late, even after the Suns came back and had been so porous defensively all night, San Antonio was still able to get what they wanted late in the game. I agree with you. It's concerning here early for Phoenix. I think their mentality, once they get Beal back, is going to be, we're going to be so good offensively, it's not going to matter. And I don't know that that works in this league. I don't know that it works either. Let's move on, though, to the the Magic and the Jazz. Um, this game had a phenomenal finish. Not I, This is one where the Magic are up seven points with about two minutes to go. They blow the lead in about a, 30 seconds or so. It was a horrible collapse. Um, but Paolo Bancaro has a great drive to retake the lead and put them back up one. So they kind of blow it and then salvage it with Paolo Bancaro. There's a couple of interesting notes here, but I'm kind of curious what your overarching takeaway was from this game. Well, first of all, you know, all this young talent uh, on the Orlando Magic, right? And and what 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 that has to translate into, Adam, is – and there are other teams in this boat, right? You've been bad for a while. You keep drafting right. guys or trade for guys that were high picks. And now you end up with, a you know, six, seven guys on your team that were like top 10 to top 15 picks in the draft. It's only going to work if at least one of those guys – pops off right yeah. becomes a legitimate star and of this group the guy that's got the best chance is Bancaro because he's got he's got the body for it he's got the physical strength he's got the I think he's got the drive for it he plays very hard like he wants to be great and so that, that that play he makes late in this game where he catches the basketball squares up and it's with 14 seconds to go he catches the ball at 22, 23 feet, squares up, and just puts his head down and goes into traffic so comfortable that he was going to be able to shoot something soft. And, and he pulls it off and, and biggest shot of the game, obviously. So that to me is what stood out. I'm saying all this young talent, we're always going to talk about with some of these teams. Ah, young guys, young guys, give them time. Right. But, well, you know, it doesn't matter. None of that matters if at least one of those guys isn't transcendent. And I'm not saying he's going to necessarily become a superstar, but you at least have to have the focal point, and he can, maybe he will be. You have to have a guy that looks like he can be a perennial all-star one day and an, and an all-league caliber type of talent. I think Bancaro has all of that because he also seems like he wants that. And right. that's what stood out to me in watching him in this environment and, and 30 points on the night, but the, but the way he played late, that kind of poise was pretty special. And you, I, I think for him, my fear with him, if we're talking about the superstar, the perennial star, all-star player, my fear would be that he goes the way of Carmelo Anthony, where he focuses on the scoring, he focuses on the things where the ball's in his hand. But I think, to your point, he wants more than that. And that's the thing that gives me, that makes me encouraged about him. He has 30 points last night to go with nine rebounds. He gets to the line 15 times. He has five assists, three steals, two block shots. Did a little bit of everything. And I even think that his playmaking is good. Now, I, I thought in the fourth quarter, I thought he, he made some really immature plays, mature mistakes down uh, in the end, held the ball a little bit too long, played with the ball a little bit too long in moments. He took a shot with about 16 seconds on the shot clock with two and a half minutes to go when they were up big. All you need to do is run the clock, get a good shot, set the table, make sure your defense is set. And he tried to, I don't know, do something a little bit you know, too quick. So I think there's some maturity that has to happen. But he, to your point, I do think he's gunning for the right things, and I'm I'm, com I'm I'm a little bit more confident than I was maybe last year that he's going to grow into an all-around player, not just a great scorer. 
Let's wrap up though by, oh, by the way, I want to just mention Anthony Black played last night. This was my first time really getting extended minutes. I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you have anything quickly on him? No, I agree. I really liked him. And, you know, what what I saw of him coming into the draft, and, you know, you don't get to see a lot of these guys. Kyle, yeah. you're watching too much NBA. But, you know, you prepare yourself as you get ready for the draft, and you watch a lot of film on these guys. And I was impressed uh, with him. And he comes in last night, you know, four for four, 16 minutes, gives you nine points. He's a guy that knows how to put the ball in the basket. And, again, all this young talent, all guys that were, you know, top picks – and, and you got to see who's going to be able to like really take it to another level. And it's too early for him to know that. But early returns and what we saw, very aggressive, can put the ball in the basket. It gives them a nice guard with size that can score. The last game, before we get into Philadelphia and Toronto, the last game is Detroit at New Orleans. New Orleans picks up another win. But before we get into any of the, the notes on the game, I thought to me what was in, what stood out to me was a comment from C.J. McCollum after the game that I really liked. This game had no Brandon Ingram, had no Zion Williamson. And after the game, C.J. McCollum was asked about um, playing in the lineup most nights. This was the second night of a back-to-back. He goes, some of the other guys did not. And he says, I have a small window of time to play this game, this game that I love, this game that I have played since I was a kid. A lot of us playing for free and played for free. I have a small window to maximize the talents God has given me, and I try to maximize them every day. He went on to talk about how he doesn't take for granted every opportunity he gets to go out there. I think it's a great comment. I've long said that I don't think you can legislate the league to have their players play every night. I don't think any rule is going to make that happen. There has to be a cultural shift of the league's leading players who start saying things like this, like, why are you resting? This is all going to be over before you know it. I think there has to be a cultural shift, and I can't hear that quote and not think of the context of players like Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson not playing on the second night of a back-to-back. I'm not saying he was definitely calling them out, but Willie Green before the game was asked about Brandon Ingram's availability. When will he be available again? And he said, I would imagine it's day-to-day, but I'm not sure. I put those two quotes together, legs, and I just feel like this is a little bit of a hey, we gotta play. We gotta play these games. No, I agree. And you know how I feel in this stance. I've been very vocal about this entire topic. You know, this early in the year, you're worried about back to backs when you just had four months off. It's it's a little bit confusing. I understand that there's nothing I'm gonna say to change the, the ideology that's permeated the league, which is you know, the load management thing and, and guys getting rest. And, and by the way, the, the, the rules that were put in to try to legislate this are gonna have no effect whatsoever. There's always gonna be outs. You cannot possibly yep. mandate to teams who plays because of the physical component of it and what potentially could be just a soreness or a little bit right. of a strain. It's not gonna show up on an MRI. I mean, you're gonna have guys from the league in every single locker room and training room every day, trying to find out if guys are legitimately hurt? No, of course not. There's nothing you can do. At least the league uh, acknowledged that this has become a problem. Right. And and so I'll give them credit at least for that because it's very rare that you see, you know, professional sports leagues kind of kind of come out and correct something or back off of a stance that they've had. They at least acknowledged, number one, the data doesn't is not there to support it, that it helps. And two – They've acknowledged that this has become a problem for sponsors, for the networks, for the fans. It's a problem, right, when you don't know who's playing night to night. So you're not changing it. It's an ideology. It's permeated the NBA. Guys – and actually, what I think in the beginning, guys were being wrestled to not play, right? I think those conversations – 
Those conversations were hard in the beginning. We were trying to tell a healthy player, yeah, you know what? We're going to give you a night off. I, I think now it almost looks like guys are kind of comfortable with that. Yeah, okay, it's cool. I'll chill over here. It's good. I'll get a night off. Right. And I think that's kind of what C.J. McCollum is talking about. And one day this game's taken from you. And you, it's not your choice anymore whether you can play. It right. leaves you physically. Right. It just does. And it's you miss it the rest of your life if you're a competitor. And I think that's what he's really talking about. And I don't know. Look, was he specifically trying to say something to Brandon right, Ingram and Zion? Right. I don't know. But those guys are going to read that quote. And, you know, does it have any effect or not? Who knows? It just, for me, Adam, it seemed a little early in the year to be worrying about this when you're five games into the season and you're already talking about that. Now, look, you can't tell me there's no correlation. They're playing Detroit. They didn't think it was a game they could lose. They're at home. They still had C.J. McCollum, and they won the game. So it validates the, the thought process. Sure. And unfortunately, I think there's you know there's a lot of organizations that think that way. But good for C.J. McCollum for taking yeah. that stance. I applaud it anytime I hear a player talking about wanting to be out there every night. And the Pelicans are good. They're four and one. I think they look impressive, and you know they have all of the makings of a good team. They have the superstar in Zion. They've got another star in Ingram. They've got CJ McCollum and Valanciunas there, and he, a, a whole plethora of of really long, rangy defensive wings, which are so valuable in today's NBA. And if I gave a shout out to one guy, Matt Ryan, who has been trying to break into the league on several different teams. He has made a major impact in at least two games that I have watched this year uh, of his. He goes seven of ten from the field, six of eight from three-point land. He That guy can really shoot the ball. Um, this is a guy that has been begging for an opportunity. Some guys sit out on a back-to-back. -back, he steps in, and he really helped him win this game. So um, Matt Ryan has really impressed early on in the season, as have the Pelicans. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, we're going to be spending – the next couple segments breaking down the 76ers, and that starts with a game last night where Toronto visited Philadelphia, a little matchup of uh, Nick Nurse versus Old Coat. We'll talk about that on the other side. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot and making your payday even sweeter. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. Look at that. We've got our own promo code. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. You have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Licensed partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles. 21 or older, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here on the All-NBA podcast with Tim Legler and myself, Adam Mades. We are breaking down the 76ers today. Uh, a team a little bit, not at a crossroads, but at a, a soft reset. But before we get into the specifics of that, I want to talk about the game they had last night. They beat the Toronto Raptors and led comfortably throughout most of this game. 
Joel Embiid uh, did what he does, which is score 28 points, 13 rebounds, seven assists, got to the line 13 times. Kelly Oubre goes five of six. This is a weird profile, legs. Kelly Oubre, not a shooter. He has He's shooting, I can't, 46% or something this year. He has two games where he went five of six and two games where he went 0 for five. So go, go figure there. Extremely hot or extremely cold. Um, but they led for most of this game. It was a pretty comfortable win. What stood out to you? Workman-like, business-like performance by the Sixers. You know, I don't know. You might be too young, Adam. The, the, the G League now used to be something called the Continental Basketball Association, right? The CBA. I am lot too young. Of player, lot of players came through the CBA, including myself, uh, and, and ended up with long careers in the league. The reason I bring it up, they had an interesting scoring system in that league where each quarter represented a point. If you won the quarter, you got a point for that. So it was four points to be won in the quarters, and then you win the game, you got an additional three. So you literally kept standings with a point system. So on a certain <laughs> night, if you won every quarter, and obviously that means you had to have won the game, you'd get seven points on that night toward the standings. I bring it up because the Sixers won all four quarters last night, yeah. right? and they were close. Each one of them was close. But my point in that is this. They just were so workmanlike in how they went about it. They did not have a long stretch where Toronto had a you know 12-0 run, a 14-0 run, and now you know you 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 felt the game sort of slipping away. Sixers were in total control. They had great performances out of you know their, their key guys and B 28-13 and seven, did not shoot particularly well. Actually, had a lot of plays in the paint that he didn't finish that he normally does. Maxi. 18, not his best night, but stayed with it. And that's, I think we're going to talk more about Maxi, but yeah. it's a good sign on a night when you don't play your best, you still in this league, when you're considered you know, a guy that's a rising star, you got to get to your numbers. And he still ended up with 18, 23 for Tobias Harris, who was sensational. They got good contributions off their bench. You mentioned Kelly Oubre. So I just look at it like this, complete across the board, entire roster included performance. And Toronto's a team that's given them nightmares. They play Philly so tough uh, over the last five, six years, basically during the Pascal Siakam era. They play them so well. And for the Sixers to come out and just never let their foot off the gas where they gave up some sustained run on the part of the Raptors where now you could feel the pressure in the building, which is when the Sixers start to struggle at home, feeling pressure. They just went about their business and they, they handled it pretty well. And I, I thought it was a very complete performance for Philly. And they did the thing that better teams do in, in a matchup, is which is win the end of quarters. And they won, I think, every end of quarters where they made their runs, a lot of those with Joel Embiid on the floor. Um, and then 19 turnovers for Toronto, I think, is really the game. I mean, that that's well above the threshold of what you can expect to, to create and still win on the road. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think it was very workmanlike. Um, and the Embiid minutes were absolutely dominant. But, you know, this is a team that's a little bit in transition and and interesting. There's all when you're five games into a season, there's all these statistical anomalies. Right now, the 76ers have four players scoring 20 points or more. <laughs> I don't think that is going to stay for, for all season. We got Joel Embiid at 30, Tyrese Maxey at 27, and then Tobias Harris and Kelly Oubre are both right at 20 points per game. So I, I'm curious, do you feel these guys are running hot, especially Tobias Harris, who's been very good out the gate, and Kelly Oubre, who I just mentioned has been hot or cold, but the, the numbers are there. Are those guys running hot or are you seeing something from them or maybe even Nick Nurse's in, uh, imprints that are giving them new opportunity? Well, all right, let's start with Tobias Harris because I'm glad you brought him. That's a great point. Okay, we know how Max he's going to benefit from the Harden trade. Right? That's yeah. obvious, okay, because the ball is now his most of the game to do with what he wants. 
The second biggest benefactor is Tobias Harris by far mm. because he moves up one spot on the pecking order. And this is a guy that came there with a reputation as being a scorer and not just a shooter. Now, he shot good percentages from the three prior yeah. to getting to Philly. The thing that always impressed me about him is he's a he's a, a small forward that has the body to be able to back you down, absorb yeah. two, three hits, and he loves that little turnaround mid-range jump shot at any area of the floor. And he didn't get that many opportunities in Philly to do that. The only times that people were focused on him in Philly, whether from a media perspective or a fan perspective, when he didn't play well. Because maybe it was a night when, when Harden was struggling, but now they go, yeah. well, and Tobias didn't step up. And it's like, yeah. I used to think this guy is so misaligned. And yeah. now he, you could just see it out of the gate here early. That, that not having Harden out there dribbling the air out of the ball on some possessions where Tobias is standing there in the corner waiting the entire possession, he's moving more aggressively. He's trying to get to spots where he knows he can be effective. They're giving him the basketball, and part of that's because Maxi doesn't have like pure point guard skills yet. Right. So he is going to give the ball up earlier, and that means it could wake its way into Tobias Harris's hands earlier in the shot clock where he feels empowered to go now be – a great offensive player. So I don't think it's a coincidence. He's playing this well. Now, the question for him is always going to be, can you replicate it in the postseason? Because he's had some struggles. But early on, this is an absolute correlation to James Harden not being on the floor as it relates to Tobias Harris. He had a great post, a handful of great post-ups in this last game. I agree with you. He has good footwork down there. He had like a seven-part move in the post late in this game that I thought was was gorgeous. Go right, go left, fake, left, left, shimmy, fake, up and under, draw the foul for an and one. It was he had some great footwork in this one. Um, what about Kelly Oubre? You know, I've never been the biggest fan of his game, in part because I feel like he's so hot and cold, and I feel like in his mind he's always hot. Um, but he's off to a hot start this year. I mean, the numbers are, have been phenomenal. He's shooting 45.5% from three, as I mentioned. That's despite two games where he didn't make – where he went over. Um, but what have you seen from him? Well, first, there's not um, a place in the league that Kelly Oubre could have gone to, to make his impact – uh, more needed mm. and immediate than Philadelphia because they just don't have enough of guys on the wing. A lot of the guys they've played on the wings have been guys that fill a very specific role. They either guard really well or they stand around and hopefully make some open threes, right? So you're talking right. about, you know, the, the Niangs and the Danny Greens of the world, right? These are the yeah. guys that they've had kind of filling cork miles. I'm going to get to him in a second. So I had to give him a lot of credit. Uh, these are the kind of guys that they've had sort of floating around the perimeter. You have Matisse Thibel, right? right? They'll guard guys really well and then be super streaky on the other end of the floor or shoot at a higher level but really struggle defensively. Ubre competes defensively. He can knock down threes on a catch and shoot, but he also can get into his own shot. And when the ball is swung to him, like he can catch and attack a closeout defender where he gets by him and gets to the rim or shoots a little mid, mid-range pull-up. So Philly desperately needed supplemental offense without having to have a guy out there that just can't guard a coffee table on the other end of the floor. right? So right. Kelly Oubre represents a little bit of both, and this is an upgrade over what they've had on the wing. And I know right now, and look, I, I talk to these, these Philly hoop heads all the time. That's like my friends. Mm -hmm. They all watch this team every night. They're obviously thrilled. Who wouldn't be with the way this guy has started? but he does fit a very specific need for this team. 
You talk about the trust factor with Tobias Harris, you know, with his playoff uh, history. And I think with Kelly Oubre, I feel the same way. I got to see it for a longer sample size before I can fully buy in just because he's so hot and cold. But I do like your point that he does have the ability to put it on the floor. Determining when and how often and how frequently and how aggressive to be is going to be something I want to monitor all year. But so far, early returns are great. Um, I don't have a note on Cork Moss. So I'm curious okay. what yours is. Good, good. Here's why. I, and, it, and it hit me in the Phoenix game too with Bates Diop, who hasn't really played. Comes in last night, has a massive impact in yep. the game. Here's, here, here's what I want to say to people out there. The next time you're sitting on your sofa and you're watching a game and you're, you know, maybe you were really, you're really good in the men's league down at the health club yep. or you had a really good high school crate. And you're thinking that any of these guys on these teams are scrubs or whatever <laughs> word you want to use to call guys out. You want to get an indication how good you have to be to play in the NBA. Furkan Korkmaz is a guy that's had pretty good moments for Philly since he's been there. There's been times when he, you know, they've used him. He's gotten hot. They ride it for a little while. And then, you know, he'd have a couple of games he'd struggle. And then Doc would bench him for four or five games. That's the life of kind of a role player in the league a lot of times. He's barely played this year, right? All this drama surrounding Harden and all this. They've barely played him. He comes in last night at home, too, where, you know, everybody, if you're a role-playing three-point shooter and you haven't played, if it doesn't go in every time it leaves your fingertips, you hear the murmurs and the moans in the crowd. Like, I know what he's dealing with. He comes in last night, look, this this isn't an eye-popping stat line. He played 22 minutes. The guy gave you 10 points, three steals. He competed defensively. My point is, like, the level of skill and mm. the level of readiness that you have to display to stick around the league and to have an impact and to have a role – it just impressed me so much because when I saw him stand up, Adam, last night to go into the game, I saw dust and mothballs like fly up in the air. <laughs> He's been sitting there so long. I didn't see I'm that like, one. Yeah, okay. I'm like, is this guy even awake? And then he gets up, he checks in, and he immediately starts playing and he hits a couple threes at one point back to back, and the crowd's yeah. giving him standing ovation. He goes, and it's just like, man, oh man, do I respect that? Bates Diop had big moments in the Phoenix game, hasn't been playing. Like, you have to be so good to fill out any one of those 15 spots in the NBA. And you have to be so ready when your moment is called to jump on it. Uh, Cause here's the other thing I learned as a role player myself in the league. You're not just playing. If you're cork for the Philadelphia 76ers, you are playing for every team in the league. Every time you step on the floor, because those guys tend to shift around a lot. They'll jump around from team to team. You are auditioning for 29 other teams. Every time you play, you have to be ready. And there are guys that aren't and they're yeah. out of the league. And so right. I just wanted to make that point. I was watching that, and I was just so impressed with his ability to be ready to make shots when he has not been playing at all. So now that we look at the 76ers team, you know, the question becomes, how do you – they have a lot of trade assets that they got from James Harden and just that they've collected. So they can make another move, whether it's this deadline or maybe next year. They can make another move to add to this roster. So I'm curious how, what you think is the best way to build – I mean, Joel Embiid is clearly the centerpiece of their team. I think Tyrese Maxey is 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 uh, the, obviously the next piece of that team. So what would be an ideal roster that you would start to put around the types of players that you surround them when you have your one and your five? One thing they're going to have to address is that they need to find a guy that is a um, has great ball security at the point guard position. I agree. Yep. Run, run a team and organize people because yep. as great as Maxey is as a scorer, and, you know, who knows what his ceiling is? He's so young. And, and, and we're going to find out a lot about him, you know, this season um, with, with what they have done to create a path for him to take the next level. But it, it's still not necessarily second nature to him 
to be able to do that, right? Manipulate the ball, get get it out of traffic situations by getting it to a safer place, changing hands, yeah. run a team, tight, tight game, put it on your hip, make sure we are organized. That doesn't mean you can't be the guy that shoots it on that possession, but you've got to make sure everybody's calmed down and settled down and you're handling the ball against pressure, whatever you see, and you are dictating terms because you are the leader of that team. Uh, and I don't know that he's there yet with that. That's that's something he's going to continue to work on. They def, definitely need to add that to their roster because you see the guards they have on this team right now. If it's not in his hands and they're not just going to give it to him, bead, right, and let him right. dictate every possession, which isn't always the best thing if he's on the perimeter too much on a given night, who is that going to be? So you can see that's a glaring need. That's something that needs to be addressed. By the way, like, by the way, by the way, real quick, last night that this was an issue because you know we're gonna get to Maxi, but I think he's best getting downhill, and sometimes that's running into the catch off of a dribble handoff, dribble pitch. They go a lot of guard to guard dribble pitch action to get him going. But there were times, the only times when Toronto really made runs last night, I felt they were trying to get Maxi off ball and they struggled getting into the actions with Melton or whoever else they were having try to initiate the offense. They were struggling with that. So your point. That's where the second point guard or point wing would really like a Joe. Yeah, I think about old school Joe Ingles type or something like that, where they're not a true point guard, but there's somebody that can get you into your offensive sets and then maybe get out of the way. Definitely. And you saw it. And, you know, you, you mentioned Melton. It's also, you know, Ubre, Patrick Beverly, yeah. you know, Korkmaz. Like they're just not comfortable doing that. Right. And what happens is, if Maxi and I saw some possessions, and, and, and this is something we'll probably look at in the film, where it was pretty important time in the game. Like Toronto still had a chance. They were within striking distance in the fourth quarter. And Maxi had gone up the floor and just kind of right. got to the ring, and now he's being denied. Right. And I'm watching them try to run their offense with these guards handling the ball. And what happens is you end up getting pushed out toward half court. Yeah. And next thing you know, the ball finally gets in the hands of a beater, Maxi, and the clock's at eight. Yeah. So now you're going to end up in a possession where you might not get a quality look. So this is exactly what we're talking about. That's something you need to address. Now, look, Adam, I love the guys from a philosophical standpoint they brought in. You brought in guys that are long, that like to guard, and can knock down three-point shots, which is when you look at Marcus Morris and you look at Covington, right? And I don't know what's going to happen with Batu, but you look at these guys – and you say that's what they need, like length, versatility defensively, and guys that can that can do the dirty work to protect yeah. Maxi defensively, to protect some of these guys, but they can also spot up and knock down threes, and they're comfortable doing it, and they've been in big games. That's the type of players that they brought in. So I, I'm very curious to see once those guys get comfortable and get minutes and get in the rotation and figure out how to play with, with Embiid and Maxi. I think the moves they've already made, have mm. moved this thing forward to me where I'm comfortable in saying, looking at their roster, I think Philly is ultimately going to be the third best team in the Eastern Conference. Well, there you go. Um, we opened up the all-NBA mailbag for the very first time. If you're not following us, follow us on the interwebs. Let me find out. Let me make sure I got this right. All City underscore NBA. Um, Super producer Emma, let's open up the mailbag here and see what people said. Look at this graphic, Tim. Unbelievable. All-NBA mailbag. Victor Bello asks, Harden worked hard to set up Embiid to win the MVP last year. Does he have to have a similar season this year to be successful, or does he need to take a step back to let guys like Harris and Maxi have some of the spotlight? I think this is an interesting question because Embiid is a dominant force, but the question here is we've seen a lot of guys be dominant at a portion of their career, 
but then almost less is more in the winning portion of their career where they kind of pick the spots where they're more or less dominant. Do you feel this is needed for Embiid or is his value in being that overwhelming go at him every single time type player? Oh man. I don't think it's necessarily a conscious decision where Embiid says to himself, all right, I really need to make sure I pick my spots a little better and I want to empower other guys and make them better. First of all, he's not a good enough playmaker yet. And maybe he won't be. He's 29 years old. I don't know if he adds that to his game or not. Uh, He's averaging seven assists a game this year. His highest prior to that was 4.2. So so maybe he is taking a step in that regard. Sometimes it could be just a, a certain chunk of games where that's an anomaly. We'll see. Let's visit that at 15, 20 games in and see what his assist numbers are. So if he were a guy like that that could pick you apart, like a Jokic can, and beat you for six minutes without shooting the ball just because he's drawing attention and finding guys, making the right decision and delivering it on a rope, yeah, maybe. So I don't think it's a conscious decision yet. What has to happen is guys like Tobias Harris and Maxi in particular – those guys, maybe it's an Ubre too. Like those guys, by the way they play and their aggressiveness and reading opportunities for themselves, and beats sort of usage rate in numbers organically start to drop a little bit. And if you're having success in winning games, particularly against quality opponents, and Bead will start to see that and embrace that a little bit more because he probably has a feeling right now. If he doesn't do it, how's it going to get done, right? And that's – I understand where some of that comes from. The biggest thing is not going to be having the regular season, by the way, where this team has come up really short, and it's not just James Harden who has shrunk for them in two years in a row in the postseason. Embiid wasn't at his best. Some of it due to injury. Some of it due to playing on the perimeter too much. Some of it just because I think the pressure affected him a little bit. So now can Maxi be the guy to fill that void? Can Ubre be really good in the postseason? Can Tobias Harris right. be better than he's been? That's when we're really going to judge this team. So I don't think, you know, you make that decision organizationally. Okay, Joel, we're going to dial it back a little for you to empower these guys. No, they have to show that they're capable of doing that consistently. And then I think Embiid will embrace that and keep those assist numbers up there about right. seven a game. If that's the case, Philadelphia is going to be in a better position to make a sustained run. Let's get into Tyrese Maxey now because I know we want to do sort of a deep dive on him as a player. And I want to start with this. First of all, he turns 23 this weekend. He's, I think, a little bit younger. He was definitely younger than, than I thought as I was researching for this. I thought he was 23 becoming 24, but turns 23 over the weekend. Um, obviously, he is best, I think, getting downhill. He has a great three-point shot. He's comfortable with some of the sidestep and step-back shots. He can be really dynamic. He's extended early on. He's extended his range a little bit. He looks comfortable taking some of the deep threes. He's had some against Toronto uh, here so far in their two matchups this season. Here's my thing with Maxi. You talked about the point guarding. He is a tremendous off-foot finisher. Driving <laughs> to the basket, takes the shot at one half step before you expect it, and he has, has great touch on that. He's very comfortable. He has a great floater, and it's part of his arsenal is that he gets only a quarter step on you, but he finishes off rhythm, and it beats the defender but I think it actually contributes to part of why he hasn't fully made a leap as a playmaker because in doing that it's a different footwork and you almost have to commit to your shot early or earlier than most and as I'm watching some of his pick and roll plays I I try to watch every pick and roll sequence he had this year there were a lot of times when the right pass or drop off or this or that 
revealed itself to him after he'd gone into the shooting motion. And I wonder if those two skills are compatible or if it's that's a scorer's mentality and you're committing at the foul line to getting into your shot and it doesn't leave time for everything else to open up. Valid point. Great observation on your part. And actually, I think it's the answer to it as time will tell. You led me right into where I wanted to go with him. So when you start doing these deeper dives on these players, I think you ask yourself, well, what makes him different? What is special about Tyrese Max? You talk about the off foot or wrong foot finishes. I agree. And, 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 And in that vein, be a little bit more specific for me. What he does, first of all, end to end with the ball, I think Tyrese Maxey's top five in the league. Speed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, transition, so, he's elite. In a league full of fast guys, right? It, it's amazing how some guys are just even faster. Yeah. Like I had somebody text me this other day about Tyree Kill in the NFL. Like, isn't everybody in the NFL an elite athlete in the wide receiver <laughs> position? Why is this guy so much faster? Yeah. And when you watch Maxi, the effortless acceleration when the ball's advanced to him, or even he brings it up with a dribble out of the backcourt. So that's that's first, right? He's got next level speed. But it's what you said that makes it special because it doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't have the ability to jump from where he does and then get the ball off the glass from strange angles with really soft English. Because there are I probably yeah. half a dozen times a night I watch Maxi start to go to the basket and it looks like there is no way he's getting a quality shot up off the glass based on – where he jumped from, he jumped off the wrong foot, and there's a defender right there with length waiting to get this thing, and they never do. So he's got an incredible knack for jumping and maintaining his acceleration in the air. Yeah, A lot of guys go and they jump, and it sort of slows their body down, and now that shot blocker comes and it matters. They deflect it. They alter it. He jumps – and when you watch him going through the air at that point, he's going just as fast, but still shoots it soft. Yeah. It's just an innate ability. It's You can't teach that. You can practice it, but you have to have something in your body that feels comfortable going that fast and still maintain control with the basketball. So that's really what separates him. Now, can he, can he now translate into that exact play we're talking about? Oh, and now here comes – here comes Brooke Lopez and now wrap it around his rib cage to somebody right. for a layup. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Can he make that decision in midair that now this is the play, a cross-court kick to the corner, a, a, a drop Which he ball. still misses, by the way. He misses those skip passes, I think, you know, more than a typical point guard would miss them, as great as he is. And yes. what's interesting about what, what we're both saying here is the off-rhythm finish is usually a counterpunch, right? The, yeah. You usually go regular rhythm and then you go off rhythm to beat a guy. But that seems to be his oh, yeah. regular punch. He goes he goes to that one almost every single time. And that's what I'm getting at is it's almost like he has to develop the regular layup or, or attack as the counter. Right. He goes – it's like when he, he's eating out of one of those Jersey diners that he probably goes to and he, he just – you know, he orders the usual. That's the usual for him. <laughs> like when he doesn't do that, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of strange, right? But that's – that's that's his thing. It's and it's become look, I played with a guy, uh an elite level point guard in Rod Strickland, Washington, who was who was about six three, New York point guard, right? And and wasn't a great shooter. And he would drive in at him and, and he'd have the ball in his hands. And you know, we're talking about the, the best shot blockers in the league, and they couldn't get to it right. because he manipulated the ball in the air and he put these weird reverse spins on it on a reverse lap. And it was just like he 
he knew going in that this was about to happen. And that's what Maxi looks like. At first, when I watched him play, it looked like he was kind of wild and out of control when he'd take those angles when it didn't look like anything was there. Now I totally understand. He knows himself and he knows the timing on this, that he has the time to get to his spot, take off, and then get this thing up on the glass that has a great chance to finish. And by the way, none of this would matter as much if he wasn't, you talk about his three-point shooting. You know, this isn't an, he's shooting 50 to start the year, which obviously is really high. It won't stay up. But Adam, he's 42 and 43 the last two years. He's For a, a guy that shooter. plays like this with this level speed, this is super high level efficiency three-point shooting. And it's not just catch and shoots. He shoots it off yep. the bounce really well. If you want to go under a screen, he will stop and make you pay. His his Actually, his deep shooting has been by far the most surprising aspect yeah. of his game for me and watching him early in his career. So, you know, he's averaging 30, 27 points a game. Um, I think he's got a chance to be in that probably 24-25 point range. And if he can give you five, six assists like he is now with Embiid's improved passing, I mean, this is a real problem for teams when you when you're talking 60 points a night between two players, and then they give you they hit you with 12 to 15 assists on a given night. Those are two guys operating at a level offensively that they're going to create nightmares. It's interesting because he's another guy that has a unique you know uh, skill set. Because this might you might disagree with this, but I don't know how he is as a straight line driver from a standstill and go. But he does this thing where he'll take almost a banana angle at the basket because he's so quick once he gets going that it's almost like that first dribble gets the speed going and then he can really burst as he goes towards the basket. And I think one thing Nick Nurse does a, a good job of is getting him into those dribble trip pitches so that he's running into it. But this is why the deep three to me is so important. How do you draw the defense out a little bit so you can get that pitch and pitch back action where you're running towards the basket? If you draw the defense out another step, you have a little bit more room to ramp up the speed into the catch and, and go. And that's where he's unstoppable is once he gets to be going downhill. Yeah, and I think, you know, they're going to be an interesting watch because if they can, they can have someone that they really trust that can also facilitate, it's not fair to him for the outlets to come to him in the backcourt all the time, right? Like, like most, most guys that are clearly your point guard, right? Like James Harden, when he was playing there and he's pretty much his whole career, when the ball comes off the glass to somebody, you're not going to see James Harden take off running the wing. Right. Okay? Right. right. And, and have it advance to him like around half court and then it go, att go attack or run the wing and it goes to somebody else. And now they come up and he spots up and he's comfortable. Like a big part of Maxi's weaponry is the advancement with the ball where he's already taken off. And that might mean the ball goes to somebody else first initially. Because if a big guy gets it, like say Paul Reed's in the game, he's not going to he's not going to want to take a couple dribbles and advance up the sideline. He wants to get it out of his hands as fast as he right. can to the first guard he sees. And if that means Maxi is not the closest outlet, he needs to run. And that's a big part of who he is. But now the ball has to be advanced from somebody else accurately so he catches it just as he's crossing half court or a little bit beyond. And he literally at that point with his speed, one to two dribbles and he yeah. is in scoring range. And that's something they've got to find because right now they don't really have that guy on their roster. Ubre probably of everybody is the most equipped to do it, but he's also right. a guy that's a raw scorer. He's thinking about getting his up too. <laughs> right, so right. this is, this is where Max is such a fascinating player because he's got, he's got so much there. And, and this entire year for me is going to be about, 
finally finding out his ceiling because it's been a lot of splashes and flashes, but always had James Harden or Simmons, like somebody lurking there. He was in their shadow and Embiid. No, not now, man. Go, yeah. young man. Let's find out what you are. And early returns, this this kid's got a chance to be really special as a as elite level scorer in this league. I like what I heard from uh, Taryn Hatcher, sideline reporter for the 76ers on the broadcast last night, which said that, you know, Nick Nurse is really leaning into the point guard development aspect of Maxi this season. And he's having Maxi lead uh, film sessions, not, not giving him pointers, but just saying, walk me through this game. Let's let's look at the tape and you tell me what's going on. So I think it's very front of mind of Nick Nurse of this guy has a very tremendous. He's great at the things he's great at. But for him to take the leap, we're tied. I think he can be an all-star as a scoring guard, a scoring combo guard, which is what he is. I think that's an all-star caliber player. To be a champion, you probably want to up the playmaking and some of those other types of things. And so I, I, I like the report from Taryn Hatcher last night that Nick Nurse is, it seems, very, very focused in on this. Um, is there anything else besides the vision, the court vision and those things? Is there anything else that you think he needs to do to make a leap? Yeah, I think, look, he's he's come a long way defensively. Um, I think early on, because, you know, to me, any person that's got elite level athletic ability should yeah. be at least at, at worst an average to above average defensive player. Right. Yeah. So I thought early it was young player probably never had anybody really make him accountable to this point in his life. So there was a lack of concentration and regard for it. He's he's improved in that area. I watch him now. He's much more attentive off the ball. His head is more on a swivel. He's in a better stance. He's not upright kind of standing and watching where he gets beat on a face cut because he just wasn't paying attention. Like those type of plays are gone. He's gotten better at times when they needed to pressure the basketball a little bit because certain times in the game that's required. He's better at that. He can even improve more. And then the last part is I think the, the, the competitiveness when he's screened. That for me is the next level for Tyrese Maxey. Now he's not a big, strong, physical guy. I don't even know what they list him. I list him at 200 pounds, 6'2", 200. That sounds pretty solidly built. Not the biggest guy in the world, but he absolutely can show a little bit more want to when he is screened, whether that's a ball screen that he's supposed to get over or fight mm. under. Either way, you have to have will to do that. Or screened off the ball when he's guarding a guy, like an elite-level guy like a Curry on a possession or a Lillard, and they're going to come off a down screen, shoot right. a three, and you're trailing – well, you can't get screened at the initial point of attack where you're eight feet behind and when he comes off that screen because you're never going to get there. It's little things like that. He can be better. And you know what that means, Adam, sometimes? That means, you know what, you got to be willing to get in a little bit more foul trouble. Sometimes it, it ha you got to be willing to maybe play less minutes on a certain night because you're exhausted. Right, right. And you see some guys aren't willing to do that, right? They give, no, give me my 35 minutes and no foul trouble so I can do my thing on the other end. There are incremental ways he can improve in each of those areas defensively. And, and I think that's the challenge for him now going forward. All righty. Let's wrap up the week here by looking at the looking back at the week and saying who won the week this week. A segment we're going to do. Another great graphic for us. Look at this, man. Our graphics package picking up show by show, adding new elements. Who won the week this week in the NBA? Legs, I'm going to let you go first. Who do you think won the week this week? Stood out? Could be a player? Could be a team? Could be a person? Could be a thing? What do you think? Who do you think won the week? Luka Doncic. 
And we have the same answer. I guess I guess that's oh, the right answer. Well, maybe this is better. We didn't we didn't discuss it. Yeah. That's what we're yeah. gonna do, right? We like surprising each other. Uh, all right, so this is great because I get to go first. Now you can spend the next minute <laughs> thinking, thinking of a new answer. So this is tremendous. There's nothing worse than you were prepared for an answer and somebody takes yeah. it. Now you go quickly, okay, who do I go to next? So true. I'm going with Luka Doncic for, for uh, uh, several reasons. First, you know, all these teams we were talking about, like coming into the year, um, Dallas wasn't getting a whole lot of love because of the disaster, complete dumpster yeah. fire that their year was after Kyrie Irving joined that team a year ago. And the fact that they were not even involved in the play-in and, and what the way that year unfolded at the end of the season, to come out and go 4-0, uh, two on the road, two at home, they weren't playing. You know, This isn't the uh, 27 Yankees lineup, okay? This isn't Murderer's Row they went through just now. But look, a San Antonio team that we've seen now, what they're capable of doing, uh, Brooklyn, solid team. Memphis struggling right now without Ja, Chicago, right? So these are the four teams, but bottom line is start of the year, these are all tough games. Yeah. And for them to come out, go 4-0, and and for Luka to basically, you know, average a 33-point triple-double for pretty much is what he has done to start the year, and they go 4-0, and and what that does, I think, internally – it's so critical for certain teams from a chemistry standpoint. I love, I love this point. Good starts. And this is one of those teams because one and three start, man, two and two even, right, with, with some really tough games coming up. You know, before you know it, you're at Christmas and you're under 500 with that particular makeup, you got problems. And so 4-0 and keeps you energized. It makes guys want to show up every day and compete, right? Kyrie is bought in. There's no way. I'm not saying these won't crop up at some point. Of course. But for that team, particularly, the way they finished and making the commitment to Kyrie Irving that they did, you need to get out of the gate quickly to get guys bought in, and that's what they did. And Luka Doncic is the primary guy responsible. There's no question about it. There's a short list of teams that needed a good start whether it was because of schedule or whether it was because, as you mentioned, their season ended so poorly last year that you don't want that to linger into this year. So you're right that it looks fresh. It looks renewed. The t the vibes look up. I do think it's an important caveat to say they really haven't played anyone yet. They played the Spurs. They played Memphis, who has yet to win. They played Chicago, who has been a disaster. And then they played Brooklyn. So none of those teams have been particularly you know, daunting. The real challenges are going to come for them in, uh, here in the upcoming week. They've got Denver tonight. Um, you know, and then they have a couple other uh, other easy ones. So maybe their schedule, the schedule makers did them a favor. They got Charlotte, Orlando, Toronto coming up, all winnable games. So, um, but they needed it. And I saw a stat with Luca earlier. He is shooting 42.2% from three. And I think it's even higher on his step back threes. That the step back three for Luca is the real, that's where he goes from an MVP candidate to you just have to, you're kind of out of luck that night when he's hitting that step back consistently. And I think he's somewhere around 50% on the season on that step back. So he's running hot. If I was to pick a guy, I'd just go with Victor Wimbanyama. We just saw him last week. Or, or we just talked about him in first segment. We saw him again last night with 38 points. I'd be curious to see some of the all-time great scores in this league and how long it took him to get to 38 points. Yeah. That doesn't always happen in the NBA right out of the package. And I'm not saying that he's going to be scoring like this all the time or that he's going to become an all-time scorer. I don't know what Victor Wembanyama is, but you see the progress from a guy. And I have been, I don't want to say a skeptic, because how can you be a skeptic of a seven foot four guy with that skill? But I've been a guy that just has said, we don't quite know. Some of the pretty parts of his game, 
don't quite know where it fits in. When you saw the shots he was making and how consistently he was making them in that game uh, last night, you look at that and you go, I think I think that might actually just be a problem. So I'm going to go Victor Wimbanyama. I would say through five games, he looks a little bit ahead of schedule from what I expected. Actually, a lot ahead of schedule. Yeah, look, one thing I want to make note about him that I thought was going to take him longer to kind of figure out is you know, these plays when he sort of gets a switch or he's rolling to the rim. And, and it, I tell you this, teams are going to have a much harder time switching on him because of this ridiculous length advantage he has over even good-sized wings. You know, he, he was shooting pull-ups over Kevin Durant last night even. He missed a couple of but he yeah. got them off so easily. Right. But when you put a guy at six, seven or below on him on a switch and he rolls to the rim, like guys built like him early in their career, when they're rolling – they're getting ridden out. Like their body, right. their lower body is taken out because guys get into and now they can't jump. They're all off balance. They can't even get to the balls that are being thrown. He was showing an ability to, even though you saw even Booker it happened to, uh, you saw Kogi, like these guys get into them down low. He's so long that he's able to still like sort of reach out over their head and catch the ball and make something happen all in one motion. So even early, while he's continuing to get stronger, look, he's never going to add a ton of weight to that frame. He just isn't. You know, people are still waiting for Kevin Durant to have a bicep. Like, it's just some guys' body frames are built that way. But the, but he's got functional strength at a higher level early than I thought he would have. And that's why I think you're not going to have a ton of 38-point nights, but you're going to have a lot of nights where he's doing special things as a scorer uh, before a lot of guys that come into the league that, that are thinly built um, because he's got good functional strength and he's just so long and skilled, he still makes something out of those plays when it looks like he doesn't have anything. Um, all right, as we get you out to the weekend here, let's look at some things to look forward to. The in-season tournament starts tonight, Legs. I'm very curious to see how this goes. <laughs> it's I, Every time you mention the in-season tournament to another uh, NBA analyst, every, the first day everybody does this kind of smile, laugh, you're shaking your head. I think this is a thing that everybody's kind of still filling out. But I will all say right. this. Go ahead. Go ahead. You got to you got Because because here's why here's why I started laughing. I, I, look, I, I'm just going to have some fun with this. And look, I know what the league is trying to do, yeah. and I hope I hope hope more than anybody that this has an impact on like creating a little bit more in season competitiveness, yeah. and, and maybe guys wanting to play. Yeah. I hope I hope so. I'm a little skeptical. The reason I laughed was I was curious. How many guys that are playing in their first, you know, in-season tournament game this week, if you polled all of the guys, knew that, like well, the day of the game? Well, here's the thing, though, Legs. Hey, man, <laughs> hey, man tonight's a big one. Yeah, why is that? Well, dude, the in-season tournament's starting. Like, oh, <laughs> Well, here's, here's, here's what the NBA did, though. Because it's disguised. Right? It's, it's, it's basically wrapped up just as a regular season game. So, it's both. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing that the NBA did, and I don't love the the looks that they chose, but the courts are going to be different tonight for yeah. the team playing. The jerseys are going to be different. And so I think that serves as a reminder or as a hey, this if you if it looks different, it feels different, and maybe that's how guys get into this. I don't know. We're gonna find out. But I will say the NBA did a good job of scheduling the games. I mean, we have Knicks Bucks tonight. The Bucks are reeling a little bit. Cavs Pacers, I think that's going to be 150 to 145. That should be a fun one. You have uh, Warriors Thunder, which is interesting. And then I think the game of the night, Mavs at Nuggets. This should be a phenomenal matchup. But all those games, in-season tournament games. So I'm curious, I'm intrigued, and I'm like you. I, I laugh, but I hope it works. I hope it lands because if it does, it just gives us one more thing to get excited about throughout the course of the NBA season. Um, 
Phoenix at Philly on Saturday, also a good game. Not a tournament game, but but a good game nonetheless. That's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. Legs, one week down. First week in the books of the All-NBA Show, the number two rated podcast currently, basketball podcast in the world. We appreciate everybody that has been tuning in. Uh, do us a favor. hit If you're watching this on YouTube, you're gonna we're going to start doing live shows here within the next week or two where we can interact with the audience and take your questions, do mailbags and things like that. So you can ask Legs directly your questions about your favorite team. So you're going to want to tune in on YouTube, the All-City All-NBA Show. If you're watching now, hit that like button or leave a comment. We always appreciate that. And do us a favor. Open up your phone right now. Go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the All-NBA Show. All-City All-NBA Show. You'll see our little logo there, the basketball with All-NBA in the middle. That's our show. And you're not going to want to miss any of this because Legs and I are going to be breaking down games just the way we did today. Teams, uh, games, players in great detail. We we are making a bet that basketball fans like basketball. <laughs> and we're going to make a show that talks about basketball. Legs, this was a great first week. Loved it, man. Let's keep this thing going. Yeah, novel concept, man. Just just, just <laughs> get into these games and get into these players. And uh, I, I love working with you. It's been great so far, and it's just going to get better. Likewise. Everybody, thanks so much. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.